Peter chapter 1 this morning. And For those of you with us or haven't been with us, we're studying through verse by verse, study and preaching through the, the book of First Peter, at least chapter 1, and maybe we'll take a little break and then hit chapter 2. We're about eight weeks in and we're not very far, but that's all right. We kind of take our time here. We like verse by verse and, and uh, expounding the scriptures and and see him try to get out of it every nutrient that God has for us. And, and uh, we've been looking the last couple of weeks at simply our highest calling in life. A lot of us have callings in life. If you're a father, you've you got a calling to be a father. If you're a mother, you've got a calling to be a mother and a husband and a wife if you're married. And, and whatever your job or career is, there's a calling there. But can I just tell you this? There's no higher calling in all the world than what the Bible calls us to be, and that is to be holy. Holy. That's our highest calling. We're not talking about holy jeans. <laughs> We're not talking about putting fish on our cars or, or all these other things and wearing crosses around our neck. None of those things are bad. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say he, when Peter talks about be ye holy as I am holy, what he's saying is simply this. It's not what we look like. It's not what we how we dress. It's not how we act. It is how we live. Not holy rolling. Holy living. We're going to kind of continue that thought today as we continue on this morning. The past few weeks, in fact, if you, if you have your Bibles there, we'll kind of catch you up to speed. But we are around verse 13, we start to see this process of holiness. It's in response to Peter had been writing to Christians who were under persecution. And, and then he went through the first part of the chapter and told us about all the great truths of salvation. And now, is, now he's telling us because we've been saved by the grace of God, because we've been sealed by the grace of God, because we're secure by the grace of God, now here's our responsibility. We need to live holy lives. And then he told us in verse 13 exactly how to do it. If you were with us, we, we learned it first starts holy living. Holy living starts with controlling our thinking. He tells us that in verse 13. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. It starts with capturing our thoughts and, and controlling our thoughts. And then, then, then we were, he gave us another reason as we continued on at the end of verse 13. He said, for, for by the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He tells us not, not only do we need to capture our thoughts because right thinking leads to right believing, leads to right doing. Doing, but we need to also then consider his coming. He reminds us Jesus is coming again. How many of y'all excited about that? Now listen, I, I, I can't go past this. I know I've already, this is two weeks ago's message, but I can't go past this without nailing this while we're here. September 23rd, how many of you heard that garbage? The end of the world, right? September 23rd. Let me just tell you this. Jesus is coming back, amen. When he returns, he's returning in the clouds first. And he's cutting up the church. We're going to be out of here. But it ain't the end of the world. Let me promise you this. The end of the world is at least 1,007 days away. <laughs> at least. At a minimum. He said, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I'll just give you this for free. Listen, whenever Jesus comes back, and it's a signless event, it could happen any moment, into the clouds to, to catch up his church. We call it the rapture, and we're out of here. Uh, from that point... I don't know how many days it'll be between that day and the day that the, that the Antichrist signs a peace pact with the nation of Israel. But whenever that day happens, he signs that peace pact. From that point on, there's at least 1,007 years left of this earth. There's seven years of tribulation, the Bible tells us. That still has to happen. Then there's a thousand-year millennial reign where he sets up his kingdom, rules with a, a rod of iron here. So don't worry about the end of the world. It's at least 1,007 years away, probably more. Amen. Now, Jesus may come back September 23rd, but there ain't nothing to worry about if you're saved, amen? 
If you ain't saved, I would be worried, but you can take care of that today. Amen. So consider his, his coming. That's what Peter tells us. He says, listen, he's coming, but quit, quit worrying about signs and all this stuff and start looking for the Savior. And he's coming. And here's, here's what he's trying to tell us. He's talking in the context of holy living. He's telling us we have to live the next 15 minutes because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. My Bible says the son doesn't even know. You can figure that one out. That's above my pay grade. Amen. But, but listen. Yeah, I don't know when he's coming back, but I should live the next 15 minutes like he's coming back in the next 15 minutes. Now, if we thought like that and we lived like that, that would change our lives. And if he doesn't come back in that 15 minutes, you know what? We live the next 15 like that. That's what Peter's saying. And he's telling us, listen, holy living, I mean, it starts with controlling our thinking. And then we consider his coming. He is coming again. Then last week we looked at this that gets down to our living. We need to consecrate or we con by consecrating our living. And in verse 14, we learned this that was obedient children, not fashioning ourselves. We learned that word fashioning means conforming. We're not to be conformed to this world, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us. By the way, we're also not to be conformed to some church. Amen. I mean, we got this whole thing now. Listen, to the overreaction because of the worldly manner in which many Christians live, the overreactions create all these lists and rules. The only thing my Bible tells me to be conformed to is Christ. Amen. Aren't you thankful for freedom in Christ? And I don't have to obey all that other mess. And, and praise God, we just obey the word of God and we go forward. Because, because it, and he tells us we need to consecrate our living. We're to do that by rejecting the, lust, the lustful lifestyle of our past and not conform to this world or to a church. Conformity is, not, is outside in, but my Bible tells me we're to be transformed. And that's inside out. And then we also talk about the, the final two facts that we need to remember the holiness of God. God's number one characteristic is holiness. I'm thankful God's love. How many of y'all thankful for that? Thankful He's mercy. I'm thankful He's grace. I'm thankful He's long-suffering, but don't you ever forget, He is first and foremost holy. And as we ended last week in verse 16, Peter wrote this, because it is written, be holy as I am holy. We're to respond to His holiness. We're to be like Him. We're His child. And if we're His child, listen, fathers and sons got a lot of similar characteristics. And I, I used Kevin as illustration last week. It's pretty spitting image. Poor kid. Y'all pray for him. Amen. Uh, but but wait, listen, just like we look like each other physically, fathers and sons many times, or daughters and mothers, can I tell you, we ought to look like our Heavenly Father spiritually. He's holy, and we need to be holy, and that's the challenge in our lives today. So today, as we continue on, we'll simply preach on this. Because of the fact that God is holy, because of the fact that He's commanded us to be holy, today I want to look at some additional truths to consider to, based on His holiness. And Let's stand and we'll read a few verses and, and we'll see where, where we end up this morning. Pick up verse 16 just to get the context again. The Bible tells us, but because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. But, I love it when God does this but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead 
and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Father, for the next few moments, would you rest everyone's attention, I pray. Lord, settle our hearts, settle our minds so we can focus on the truths that you have us have for us from the precious word of God. Lord, do a work in this place today that I can't do, Lord, that, that only the Holy Spirit of God through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God can do. Convict hearts, Lord. Save that sinner that's near as hell this morning. Lord, change and correct us as Christians. May we realize our responsibility in life. Lord, our number one calling is to be holy as you are holy. Lord, help us to realize some more truths concerning that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I wrote down just a few principles today as I was thinking through this. And this principle, first one, just summarizes all of the past couple weeks' teachings. It's simply this. His complete sacrifice deserves our complete surrender. How many of you agree with that? Jesus shed his blood. He died for our sins. He took the beating that you and I deserve, and now he's called us to be holy. And because he completely sacrificed for us, we, he deserves our complete surrender. Paul put it this way, Romans 12, 1. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable uh, which he, unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says it's our reasonable service. Living holy, the command to live holy. Listen, it's not some, some grievous thing. He says, listen, it is just your reasonable service based on what Jesus did for you. And we looked at what that meant last week to live holy. But as we continue on in verse number 17, Peter says something a little interesting here. He says, and if you call on the Father, he's talking about saved people here, y'all with me, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And so let me give you another principle this morning. Simply this. God is not just our justifier. Praise God he is. Amen. But he's also our judge. Not just our justifier. But he's also our judge. Look at me with a, a few truths on this as we continue on. I wrote down first of all this. It's a family judgment. Look at verse 17. As you, and if you call on the Father... See, Peter's talking to saved people here. He's talking, he's speaking to them as a father speaks to a child. And many people think, well, I'm a child of God just because you were born. Listen, you're not a child of God because you were physically born. You only become a child of God when you're born again by the grace of God. You are created by God, but you're not his child until you repent and you believe the gospel. And he's talking about saved people here. And he's talking about ones as fathers to children. And we're children to him as a father. And he's warning us uh, as sons of the most high God that, that, that our just and our heavenly father is our justifier and our judge. Listen, if we're partakers of the grace of God in this world we ought to live differently well, and we're going to be judged separately from this world and that's what he's saying. Now I know as we talked about this word judgment, everybody likes uh, it's, it's amazing to me uh, how many atheists are out there or at least proclaiming to be atheists have you ever thought about this? Let me just give you a thought on atheists, people that claim to be. <laughs> so they spend their life being against something they don't believe in. Well, I, I don't believe in mermaids. Y'all believe in them? Or rainbow unicorns, sorry, some of you. I don't believe in them either. But I don't spend my life going against them, right? See, they know 
God put in their conscience the truth that there is a God. Amen. And they even know that. And I, I got to watch that because I got a lot to cover today. I got to get off on these little tangents. But, uh, but, but listen, we got folks today, and you need to understand when it comes to judgment. Those atheists, that's where I was going. They're the ones that proclaim they, they don't believe the word of God and they don't believe that there, uh, that, that there is a God. They don't even believe scriptures. Y'all are silly to even read those scriptures. It's amazing how immediately when they need it, they'll quote it. Well, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. All right. Don't, how many times have you heard that out of somebody? I thought you didn't believe it. What is it? You can't have it either way. <laughs> but listen to me. There is a judge. And it's an almighty God that's our judge. And while there's many churches and many denominations and many preachers that preach about some one general judgment and we're just all going, listen, that, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. There's two judgments, primary judgments mentioned in the Bible. The first one is for those who are not saved. It's called the great white throne judgment. It's where you stand before God. It's for those who've never repented, trusted in Jesus. Let me read it to you what the Bible says about that. Romans 20 and verse 11. It says, and I, or I'm sorry, Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face on the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no place for him. And I saw the dead, the small and the great stand before God. You will stand before God whether you believe in him or not. Amen. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen to me carefully, friends. If you've never repented, if you've never trusted and believed in the gospel that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried for you, rose again for you, if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that is the judgment you will be at. And it's the judgment I don't want you to be at. It's a judgment God doesn't want you to be at. Uh, that's your future, though. That's your faith if you don't repent and by faith trust in Jesus. That's why today the Bible says is the day of salvation. You can change all that today. Now we covered all that, but that's not the judgment Peter's talking about here. Because Peter's writing to save people. The one he's talking about here is where you and I will be. We won't be at the great white throne judgment in judgment anyway. We will be at another judgment. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. It's also called commonly the Bema judgment. That's where saved people will go. And, and, we, and we'll go there and we're going to be just judged not for sin. Because that was taken for taking care of at Calvary. How many of you are thankful for that? Hey, my sin, he bore my sins on his body on that tree. Praise God. And, and, and he, I got his righteousness. He took my sin. What a deal that is. But we will be judged based on how we lived and the works we did for God after we got saved. Well, let me ask you this. Since you've been saved, what have you done for God? The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he's done, 
whether it be good or bad. Again, this, this judgment is not for the penalty of sin. This judgment is for the works we've done since then. And the Bible, Paul put it this way about our works. He said, every man's work shall be made manifest. And for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire will try every man's work to see what sort or what manner it is. If any man's work abide which he build thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Amen. See, that's what it is. The Bema seat judgment. It was, it was it's the idea of the old Greek games. It was a reward seat. It was where they, the, the, the winners of the, the athletic contest would get their reward. And that's really what this is. It's a place for us to get our rewards, our crowns, that we're just going to give right back to Jesus and cast at his feet. But the question is, will you get one? What are you going to get? Because listen, he's your judge, not 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 because I, I worked to be saved, I, I, because I worked after I was saved, because I determined to live a holy life for God, and it all goes back to that context. What would you receive there? It's based on the manner, the motive, and the methods of our works. He says, "What sort it is? It's a family judgment. It's a judgment from our Father to His Son." And only write that down, write this down too. Not only is it a family judgment, I wrote down it's a fair judgment. It's a fair judgment. Look with me again, verse 17. The Bible says, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. Without respect of persons. Peter reminds us simply this. God has no favorites. That ought to either bust your bubble <laughs> or glorify your soul. I don't know which one. There's some people walk around thinking they're God's gift to, uh, to everybody else. I'm God's gift to God. <laughs> right? Bust your bubble. He has no favorites. And listen, some of you feel like God, God doesn't think anything of you. He has no favorites. He loves you as much as he loves this preacher. He loves you as much as he loves anyone that's ever lived. Amen? He has no favorites. He is no respecters of persons. Now, that's true in two senses. Stay with me for just a moment. Number one, it's true, with the, it's true in the sense of salvation. Amen. God is not a respecter of persons. Can, can I tell you, this teaching that's out there today, uh, contrary to all what all these Calvinists say, and hey, listen, can I just, again, if it says reformed anything, you throw that thing in the trash. Amen. Because you know, here's what they're teaching. God died for just a select few, and he selected the other few to go to hell. That's what they're teaching. God didn't die for a select few. God died for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Now, I want to tell you, listen, my Bible still says, and it's clear as day, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God, I'm a whosoever. I'm glad it's not some select group, because I wouldn't have got in, would you? If you're buying that some of that nonsense, they, even John Calvin didn't get that from the Bible. He got it from reading after Augustine. Just read the Bible. Hey, you, me, and Billy McGee, listen, I, friends, listen, every one of us make an individual choice when it comes to salvation. And our choice is do we repent and believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, or do we reject that truth? And not responding to it is rejecting. We have a choice. Hey, he's no respecter of person. Praise God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm thank God I'm a whosoever. For God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He wants you to be saved this morning. He is no respecter of persons when it comes to salvation. That's not the context of it. I just had to throw that in. Back to verse 17. What's the context here? He's talking about judgment. He's also no respecter of persons when it comes to judgment. 
That means if you've been born again by the grace of God, writing to Christians here, remember, no matter what position you have, I don't care if your grandfather was a deacon, your, your mother was a Sunday school teacher, and you served on every committee in the church, and you're here every time the doors are open. Listen, he's really less interested in that and more interested in how you live. Because I know people that are here every time the doors are open, and they do all the right things, dress right, smell right, talk right, when they're inside the church anyway, and live like a holy hell outside the church anyway. He's talking about right living. Listen, it doesn't matter what position you have, no matter, it doesn't matter how much you gave and how much money you have, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. No matter what ethnic group you're a part of, no matter what language you speak, no matter what skin color it is. He says, listen, I am no respecter of persons when it comes to salvation, and I'm no respecter of persons when it comes to judgment. Your works will be judged on, on the, what you have done for God since you've been saved or the lack thereof what you've been done. And he says, I'm no respecter of persons. Because God isn't. It's a fair judgment. But it's also a fearful judgment. Look at verse 17 again. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning herein. What's that last word? Fear. He reminds us as saved, blood-bought children of God, we're just sojourning here. You know what that word sojourning means? It means we're pilgrims. It means we're foreigners in this earth. And, uh, hey, I'm thankful to be an American. How about you? Amen. Amen. By the grace of God, I was born in America. I still believe it's still the greatest country. We got flaws and we got problems. Still the greatest country in this world. But let me tell you what, I'm really not even so much a citizen here anymore. The day I repented and trusted Jesus beside that race car, I became a citizen of another country. It's called heaven. And now I'm just a sojourner. I'm just a foreigner. I'm just making my way through this world, waiting for the one that he created that's waiting on me called heaven to get to just a little later. I'm a citizen of heaven. The Bible says I'm already seated in heavenly places. Amen. Hey, I'm sojourning, passing through. I got a heavenly home because I've been saved by the grace of God. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you got a heavenly home awaiting you too. And somebody ought to say amen right there for that. Hey, this world's not my home, but while I'm here, I'm to live holy with a reverential fear of God. That's what he's saying. He says, sojourning here in fear. Now, he's not talking about dumb fear. Understand the difference here. We got some dumb fears. I mean, some of y'all fear fearful snakes. Amen? Just cut his head off. You'll be all right. Amen? I'm just kidding. Spiders. Stomp them. Squash them. Now, we all got fears like that, phobias. I understand that. But when it comes to God, on a more serious note, some of us have been, we, we got this wrong view of God. We view God as this, this big bully sitting up there just waiting with a big old stick to knock us upside the head the moment we don't do something right. That's not the kind of fear he's talking about. I mean, I didn't read my Bible this morning. God's going to strike me. Some people really live like that. They really do. That's not the kind of fear he's talking about. I didn't go to church this one day. Or th By the way, you should go to church. Amen. But you don't do it because, I, because I'm fearful God's going to strike me dead with lightning or beat me over the head of the club. I do it because I love him and I want to learn and I want to grow in grace and knowledge. The fear he's talking about is not that dumb fear. The fear he's talking about here is a reverential fear, a respectful fear. 
A fear that understands that God's not only my justifier, but he is my judge. He's talking about that fear of a thrice holy God. And he's talking about, listen, we live here in fear, in reverential, in respect to a holy God uh, because he watched after our soul and saved us. And it's our duty to respond back to him for that very thing. Listen, here's why it's even more fearful. We talk about that judgment seat of Christ and and boy, I'm telling you what, there's a couple rewards. I, 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 sure, I, I sure do pray. I, I, I work hard and get some of these crowns so I can give it back to my Savior. But, but listen to me, that's not going to be the most joyful time I don't believe it's ever been. We get the idea that God's going to show a, a DVD of our life or, or, and he might record it and show you, oh, what'd you do there? What'd you do there? It's even worse than that. Listen to Romans 14, 12. He says, So then everyone shall give an account of himself to God. You're not going to watch some movie of your life. You're going to stand in front of a thrice holy God and he's going to say, so tell me what you did for me after I saved your soul. And you've got to speak. Now how many of you be just scared to death I called you up here right now? And I said, I want you to come. I want you to come right up here, and I want you to testify what you did for God this week. With the right manner, the right motive, I want you to testify. Just to us. Some of you would shake out of your boots, would you? Most of you would, to be honest. Think about doing that in front of a thrice holy God. You think he takes his matter of living holy, seriously? That's what he means by that reverential fear. We're going to give an account Listen, he's not just our justifier, but he's also our judge. But look at verse 18. Let me give you one more truth. Redemption is not bought, bred, or borrowed. It's only by the blood. Look at verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redemption's not bought, bred, or barred. It's only by the blood. Look with me first at redemption's purpose. This ought to bless your heart. Hang in there with me for just a moment. We're going to have a, just a brief Sunday school as we go through this. He says, for as much as you know, you're not redeemed. And again, we've got to break that word down, redeemed. What does it mean to be brought redeemed? Well, it's interesting if you do a word study, and y'all know I like to do those, especially those of you come on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We like to dig on down into the word a little bit. You're going to find there's three different Greek words translated to our English word redeemed. And, and I'm not giving you this to impress you. That's not the idea, but I want you to understand the full significance of the word redeemed. Listen, listen to the, a couple of them. The first one is this, and I can't pronounce these, so y'all bear with me. First one's called agorazo, and here's what it means. And it was used in Revelation 5, 9. This is now talking about Jesus. Has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The word there simply means to buy back from the marketplace. Hey, we were on the marketplace of sin, amen? And Jesus bought and paid our price through his blood to buy us from that marketplace. That's one, one idea of the word redeemed. Everybody with me? You with me? Say amen. All right, stay with me for just a moment. The second place it's translated, it's exegorazo. And here's what it means. Galatians 4, 5 used that one. It says, to redeem them that were under the sun, 
or under the law, sorry, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And here's what that literally means. It means to take off the market. So the first one, we're, we're bought from the slave market to sin. The second one's talking about we're removed from the market. In other words, we're not for sale anymore. Amen. We've been bought and paid for with a price. And he bought us and he intends to keep us. Amen. Hey, he keeps us forever. We are his forever. Satan no longer has any claim on our soul because our soul belongs to the Lord and it's no longer for sale. We're redeemed, saved, sealed, and secure forever because we've been taken off the market. That's the idea of redeemed. Listen to the third one. That's the one here in our text that's used. And it comes from a, long word, a different word called lutron. Or, uh, and, and here's what it means. It, it says to, it means this. It means to be released in freedom after the payment of the purchase price. Now put all these together. Think about what's going on here. The first one, we're redeemed from the slave market to sin. That's what Jesus did when he shed his blood and we believed in him. Amen. The second one, we're taken off the market and we're no longer for sale. The third one simply says this, that, that listen, that we are, once we're bought by this new one, we were a slave to sin, we're bought by a new owner, then he releases us and we're free and we're no longer in bondage anymore. Isn't that good news? That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. As you study, if you put them all together, hey, he purchased us off slave market to sin, removed the for sale sign off of us, took us off the market, and he made us free. That's what John said, or Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free in John 8, 32. Listen, that's what he means in John 8, 36. If the Son therefore make you free, then you are free indeed because we've been redeemed, bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption's purpose. But notice this, redemption's price. And first of all, notice what it is. And as we read verse 18, it isn't corruptible things such as silver and gold. Hey, it's not money. Amen. <laughs> Given to charity, praise God. I hope you do. Especially those that have lots of good causes out there. All those needs down with all the hurricanes and so forth. By the way, but that doesn't get you to heaven. That doesn't redeem yourself. Given to your church. Hey, you should because you're an obedient Christian. He gave to you first and you give back a portion of what he gave. But that don't get you to heaven. Hey, amen. Hey, it's not gold and it's not silver. Those are corruptible things. But listen, he goes on to say verse, one, uh, verse 18 again. He says this, it's not your good works either. Notice what he says. It's or from your vain conversation received by the tradition of man. Now, conversation in the King James, it doesn't mean verbal as much as it means visible. And so here's what it means. It means our lifestyle, our manner of living. And he says, listen, your works, your way you live isn't going to get you to heaven. That doesn't redeem you. He's telling us that you can't do enough to get to heaven. Amen. There's no magic scales. Listen to me carefully. There's a lot of people who believe this. Boy, if I live, if I do more good than I do in bad in life, then the scales will be in my favor and I get to go to heaven. No, you'll just go to hell being a good moral person. There's only one way we get redeemed and, and it'll go to heaven and that's by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not gold, it's not silver, it's not the vain lifestyle uh, from the traditions of our fathers. And by the way, just because daddy said it, you better check it up with the Bible. Just because grandpa said it, there's a lot of people base their beliefs on something they heard somebody say. You better check it up in the Bible. And The Bible says there's only one way to heaven. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Not from anything we've said or done. Listen, it's, all, it's not about I do and what I do. It's about done. It's finished. To tell us die, he said, hanging on that cross. Hey, it's done. When Jesus died on that cross, when he was buried, when he rose again, listen, that is about what it's all about. It's about done. The price wasn't money. 
wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. There's only one thing that can buy our freedom, friend. And that was the precious blood of Jesus. Read with me verse 19. Look what he calls it. But with the precious blood of Christ. Now I could spend a lot of time here on this word precious. And I almost did. I almost made this the, the heart of the sermon. But let me just give you just a 3,000 foot overview of a deep, a pretty good truth. Why was his blood so precious? First of all, all blood's precious, right? To some degree, because the, the, the life is in the blood. Amen. But why was his precious? Why it was precious? Because it was pure and it was untainted from sin. This is why the virgin birth, friends, if you got a Bible that says some young lady, you need to throw that thing away. Give it to Goodwill or something. I probably don't throw it away. Give it to Goodwill. Amen. <laughs> you need one that tells you it was a virgin that conceived. Makes all the difference in the world. Listen to me. Jesus was born of a virgin. But even though he was born of a virgin, it still wasn't Mary's blood. Hang with me for a moment. I studied this out this week. Y'all be proud of me. Preacher, preacher learned something medical. Did you know that not one single drop or ounce of the mother's blood is in the baby? Never transfers. Never does. All the blood is a result of the seed that was implanted from the man. That's, that gives you the genetics and creates the, the sac and all that. that. That comes from that side. So Mary was a sinner too. Amen. I know they'll kill the Roman Catholic Church and be Roman Catholic. She was a sinner who needed to be saved and trust in her own son as the Savior of the world. Amen. Sometimes I get on these things and I lose track of where I was going. Amen. Amen. <laughs> she had to be saved just like everybody else. But listen, not one single ounce of even her blood is in Jesus. That's a medical fact. And that's why the Bible tells us about how all, all sin is passed from the man all the way through. You talk about Romans 5.12. For as by one man sin entered in the world and sin's passed upon all men for all men have sinned. Y'all know all that. Right? It goes back to the Father. This is important truth. Listen. Who was Jesus' Father? It wasn't Joseph. It was the Holy Spirit of God. Not one ounce of blood came from Mary, which would have been tainted. It always comes from the seed of the Father. And His, Holy, and His Heavenly Father was the Father. Amen. No wonder the Bible calls it the precious blood of Christ. Doesn't that make it make a little more sense now? Amen. Praise God for the precious blood of Christ. It wasn't silver, it wasn't gold, it wasn't corruptible things, it wasn't money, it wasn't our good works. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, what can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Redemption's price, it is the blood. But listen to me one more time, redemption's plan, and we'll be done. Look at verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory, and your faith and hope might be in God. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, 
don't let that word for ordained uh, give you, get, make you nervous, shake you up. Amen. Uh, we get all nervous uh, when we see words like that. All this simply means that, you know, it comes from a word that has the idea where we get the word prognosis from. And all Peter's saying is simply this. It's exactly what Miss Ann saying just a moment ago. It is simply this. All, he's reminding us that Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave, his shed blood, it was not plan B. It always was his plan. See, there's some Christians out there today, and some folks, well, well God got all, God, 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 God had created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, during a perfect environment, then they sinned, and he said, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Now, it wasn't my God. Did it ever occur to you? Nothing ever has ever occurred to God? As she said, listen, that trial, that problem didn't take him by surprise, amen. He already knew. Listen, his death, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has always been God's plan. It was preordained from the beginning of the world. Him coming and, and taking the beating that you and I deserve, shedding his blood, dying on that cross, and being put in a barred tomb. It was barred because he wasn't going to need it long. Three days later, raising from the dead, ascending back to heaven. It was all part of God's plan. Predetermined plan. This plan for redemption. Praise God for that. Two things you won't have find in God's vocabulary. Oops. I didn't see that coming. You won't find them, friends. He knew everything beforehand. He knew, listen, he was going to robe himself in flesh, be born of a virgin, come to this world, die for our sins. Calvary was not plan B, it was plan A. Plan A, it was foreordained before the foundation of the world our redemption was. See, redemption's not bought. Listen, it's not bread, it's not barred. It's only by the blood. Look at verse 21 and we're done. Who by him, who's the him there? Jesus. Do believe in God. That what? Raised him from the dead. and Gave him glory that your folk Faith and hope might be in him. Friends, if Jesus had just shed his blood, if he had just died, then we would still be in our sins. But praise God, he was raised for our justification. Amen. <laughs> and the Bible says, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead. Listen, that is the gospel message. That is the message, friends, that you need to believe to be saved. Listen to how Jesus put it. Mark 1.15, he said, repent ye and believe the gospel. You know what repent means? It means to change my mind. And I change my mind, change my mind about my sin. I need to understand I'm a sinner and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I need to change my mind about myself. I can't do enough good works to get to heaven. We've already covered that this morning. I'm not the Savior. I changed my mind about the Savior. Realize Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. There's no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior. That's repentance. And then He says, believe the gospel. I've covered the gospel about 18 times today already. I always throw it in there about every chance I get, amen? Because it's the message by which you're saved. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, he said, I declare unto you the gospel. Verse number 2, he said, by which ye are saved. Verse number 3, he tells us what it is. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he tells us the message we got to believe to be saved is the gospel that Jesus died for our sin, was buried and rose again. Do you believe that? Have you believed that this morning? Have you been saved? If you have, are you living holy? Have you considered some of these truths? That he's not just our justifier, he's our judge. And the redemption's only by the blood. If you've never been saved, listen. Paul tells us how to take care of this. It's so simple. If you understand you're a sinner, and you believe Jesus died, not just that he died, but he died for you, was buried and rose again for you. Paul said this way, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, agree with God's with that word confess means, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not might be, not I hope so, done deal. Have you ever confessed with your mouth? while you believed in your heart? If you haven't, right now would be a good time to get that together. If you'd stand, heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. Friends, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he wants to save you. He died for you. If you're the only one to ever live, he still would have died for you. I've already told you how to be saved. Listen, it's not a magic prayer. It's not repeating some words and all that stuff, although confession of the mouth is necessary. It's ultimately the belief in the heart and the object, that's Jesus, and what he did when he died for me was buried and rose again. Believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead as you confess that with your mouth. If you understand those truths and those facts right now, right where you stand, Call upon the Lord. Ask Him to save your soul. I'll lead you. I'll help you in a prayer. But listen, you can pray this prayer, the words of this prayer, all day and every day, and not mean it in your heart. And you're not going to be more, no more saved than the devil. Amen. But if you believe this and you confess this, He'll save you right where you are. If that's you this morning, pray something like this from your heart, Father God. I confess to you today that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And I believe he was buried and that he rose again the third day for my sins. I'm turning to you now, Lord Jesus. Confessing you as my Savior. And by faith, I receive the free gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name. With every head still bowed and eyes still closed. No one's looking around. I'm not coming to you. I'm not even calling you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. We, we just don't do that here. But I do want to pray for you. If today 
You ask the Lord to save you. If today you got that settled in your heart, right now, would just lift your hand up and say, Preacher, pray for me. I prayed that. I asked him to save me. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else like that today? I asked him to save me. Pray for me, preacher. I confessed with my mouth, and I believed it in my heart when I asked. Right now, I want you you to pray for me, preacher. Anybody else like that today? Thank you. Anybody else? Father, we thank you for being a God that still saves sinners. Thank you for your blood shed on Calvary. Lord, I promised I'd pray for these that raised their hand this morning. Lord, raising their hand didn't save them, saying the words didn't. But if they confess that and they believe it in their heart, then Lord, on authority of your word, you said they are now your children. And nothing can ever snatch them away from you. Lord, we, we praise you. We glorify you for that this morning. And Father, my prayer is now that uh, these would get into a good Bible pe- pe- uh, preaching and teaching church. They'd be discipled. Lord, soon they'd make it uh, their, their, their private decision to trust you here public by getting into the baptism water and identifying publicly with your death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, that they would grow in grace and knowledge. Father, bless them, I pray. Father, now I want to pray for the rest of the congregation. Lord, there's many in this room, and myself included, Lord, that, that fail at living the holy life that you've called us to live. God, help us to control our thinking. Help us to consecrate our living. God, help us to remember you're not just our Savior. You're not just our justifier, but you're our judge. And that you paid the ultimate price, Lord wasn't money in a sack. It was his very precious blood. Perfect blood. Undefiled blood. Pure blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, our response, our, our responsibility is just to sit our reasonable service and now live for you. Father, help us to do that as Christians. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As our brother sings this morning, We'll just invite you to, if you need to do business with God or some area in your life that you know it's not pleasing to God and He's revealed it, this altar is going to be open. You can pray there in your seat, whichever. If you want to make your salvation public, you're welcome to come. That's up to you. But as they sing, you just come. And let's, let's respond as God would have us to respond. Just as Maybe you just have a burden I am without and You just want to come give it to God. This altar's open. Whatever you need. We would get real honest, though. For me, we shouldn't be. Uh, we, we shouldn't have any room up here. Thou because everyone was failed to, to live the way God's called us to live. I'm not talking about risk, rules, and lists. I'm talking about a holy and a pure life, a holy and a pure life of action. Just as I am and waiting not to read my soul, we will stand and give an account.
to thee for the works we've done. Whose blood can would you have something to say? Each spot or lamb of God I come, I come just as I am thou wilt receive, will welcome pardon, cleanse relief, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Our hearts clear this morning. All right, well, this is a special day. A lot going on today. You know, we have our fellowship time here in just a moment in the back, and we invite everyone to stay. I don't care if you brought anything or not. If you're a guest, you just say, I don't know anything about it. You just come eat. Amen. We always got plenty of food. Come back and fellowship with us. Uh, then our, we'll come right back in for our afternoon service after that. But special day on two accounts. First, we're just going to hit this one. I don't know if he's already snuck out. I can't see him back there, but I see him all in the back. But. 54 years ago today, Brother S.G. Bolt preached his very first sermon. Amen. 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 So y'all give him a hand. Amen. Amen. And you gear, you get geared up because here in a couple weeks on October, in October on Sunday night, he's gonna come and he's gonna come preach the shat, the whatever you call them things. We call them things. Somebody help me. Come on. There you no, not them. Somebody other than Joe help me. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's going to preach the roof down. How about that? We'll just go with that. Amen. <laughs> that might include the chandeliers, brother. <laughs> uh, so, so praise the Lord for that. Thankful for your years of service to our, our Lord and Savior, brother. And then also, when we go back to the back, he doesn't know it yet, uh, but we're, we're having a little birthday celebration today. Uh, Tamar, one of our longtime members and faithful men of God that served here for a long time, Nine, we'll turn 90 years old. His whole family's here on this pew. So, Brother Frank, I know you're not a man that likes a lot of attention and all that, but we're going to sing happy birthday to you before we're dismissed. And happy birthday. We're going to celebrate happy your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. All right, make it simple. You can go down either side, either hall, out these side doors, out the back, and then around. But come join us and eat. And I'm going to pray real quick that way when you get back there, you go ahead and start eating. Amen. Uh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you for Brother Frank today as we celebrate his birthday, Lord. Thank you for his family being here and all the preparations, Lord, and uh, planning they put into this. And, May it just be a joyous afternoon here with him, Lord, as we, and for us as we fellowship together and break bread together. Bless now the food and all those that prepared it, Lord, and uh, just uh, give us a good time of fellowship in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.